So we've, uh, we've been looking uh, over the last several weeks at this question that Jesus asked of his disciples, who do you say I am? And we have been looking at that question and answering it for ourselves, and we're believing the scripture that Paul said to the Corinthian church, that as we behold him, we are changed into his image. As we look and peer upon him, as we see him as he really is, we ourselves are being changed from one glory to the next. It's a process. And as we've mentioned, we'd all like for the process to go a little quicker than it does. But I'm grateful that he's in charge of our process of sanctification and of being changed from one image of glory to the next. We're realizing that knowing Christ is so much more than knowing some facts about him. That knowing him is an intimate, transformative work that the more we know him, we know him intimately, the more we're changed into his image. And we specifically have been looking at what's called the I am statements of Jesus. The I, as what Bob Mumford calls the I am-ness. The I am-ness. And and Jesus makes seven declarative statements, and we've looked at a few thus far. One we looked at was Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then last week we looked at Jesus saying, I am the door. And that is intrinsically connected to the one we're looking at today, which is Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. So John chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because... He is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep, but I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there, is one, there will be one flock and one shepherd." I am the good shepherd. Now that word good in the Greek, do you know what it means? It means good. Uh, it, 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 it means a little more than that. Kalos is the Greek word. And it means something noble and honorable. Something wholesome, beautiful. And you could contrast it to the things that might be wicked and mean and foul and unlovely. The Bible tells us that every good gift comes from above. It comes from God, and that is because Jesus is the good shepherd. It's not just his innate goodness that we even know of, because it would be one thing to know of him being good, but always removed from us. The reason we know he's good is not just because of his innate goodness, but because his goodness is displayed towards us. 
It reaches out and touches us. And that's how you know it's good. It would be one thing to see it from afar and think, wow, that looks good. But when you get to come up close to the one who is good, then you feel goodness in a way you never would have otherwise. When we talk of God's goodness, it's challenging to think that I could speak about such a grand subject in just 20 or 25 minutes. But I'm going to try. I would just say this, God's goodness is something that is to be experienced all of our lives. And when Jesus said, I have come that you might have abundant life, that's what he's speaking of, his goodness. I would like to just highlight three kind of aspects of this good shepherding that Jesus does for us. He said, I am the good shepherd. And what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, first, the good shepherd is the good shepherd because he knows his sheep. He knows them. That's, that word knows is the same word knows that we looked at before. It's an intimate kind of knowing. He knows us inside and out. Have you, have you ever been to a party or a function? You've gone to a party alone, and when you got there, you realized you didn't know a soul? This crowd of people, and, and you don't know any of them. It's so isolating to be like that. It it's, feels lonely. You feel disconnected. You feel like you don't belong. But if someone you know and who knows you walks into that room, then it changes everything. If they know you, all of a sudden, your whole frame of reference is different. They call out your name, and it makes you feel warm inside. It makes you think, I belong here. This is, this is good. I can, I can handle this. I don't have to slip out the back door because somebody knows me. Somebody knows my name. Jesus said in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I don't think there's anything more glorious than that verse right there. Just think about it. Jesus, if you're one of his sheep, and I trust that many of you in here are, if you're one of his sheep, he knows you. And he promises that you know him. You know him in a way that changes everything, like a person that knows you would walk into a room and make you feel like you belong. His knowing us means that he knows ab about us, but he also knows us intimately. He even knows our name. He knows us by name. There's an Indian uh, pastor and theologian named D.T. Niles. He passed away in 1970. And he uh, told a story about a young shepherd boy in India who had a very large flock that he was caring for. And... Uh, D.T. Niles went up to the young lad and he said, how many sheep do you have? And the boy looked at him and said, I don't know. I don't know how to count. And, and Niles looked at him and said, well, then how would you know if some of them have wandered off? And the boy answered, I don't know if they'd wander off or how many would wander off. 
but I do know each of them. I know them by name, and each of them has a name. I wonder sometimes in our journey, even in church life, if we get so fixated on numbers, but we forget to know people by their name. I listened to one pastor this last week talk about a church that he pastors of over 600, and here's what he said. Many of you I know. And I thought, that's reasonable to say, but isn't it a sad commentary that he only knows many and not all? But I think of even my own experience, and many of you sitting here and those that are watching, I know probably most of you. But I don't know that I know each of you the way that I should. Here's the good news. We have a good shepherd. And he knows those who belong to him. And they know him. There is such security in being known. And having someone know you. And Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. Like those times. Times that you can't figure yourself out. Anybody here like that? You're like, I don't know what's wrong with me right now. I, I can't figure out what's going on inside of me. I, I, I don't even know. I don't know what I believe about myself. I'm questioning myself. There are times that we feel like we don't know ourselves at all. Still, the good shepherd knows you. That's why the care of this one, the good shepherd, is what we need. For he completely knows our frame, is what the psalmist said. He knows everything about us. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly, the spots, the blemishes, the secrets, the thinking, the actions. He knows your temperament. He knows your moods. He knows your deepest desires, and he knows what triggers emotions in you. He knows what soothes your soul. He knows what lifts you up, and he knows what brings you down. Even in times of mystery that you may experience where you don't know yourself, you are no mystery to him. He knows you. And because Jesus knows you completely, knows me completely, knows us completely, he is able to lead us effectively. You see, his knowing enables him to lead us the way we need to be led. You know your children, if you have children. If you don't, you probably don't know your children. Thank you, Eliana. Appreciate that. If you have children, you know them. You know where their weaknesses are. You know if they like sugar too much or sweets over here or if they're prone to be lazy or if they don't obey at this moment. You know your kids. You know them so deeply and so intimately that it helps you to know how to parent them. That's what Jesus knows of us. He knows what we need even before we know we need it. And because he knows us like that, he can lead us like we need to be led. So the first thing we need to understand about the good shepherd is that he knows us. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad that he knows. But he not only knows us by name, he also cares 
about us. He cares for his sheep. Now, I know these things seem so basic, and yet they're the most profound realities when we see them evidenced in our lives. His caring for us is greater than we can imagine. He said in verse 10, the thief, what has he come to do? To steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Now listen, if you don't have that line highlighted in your Bible, if you don't write in your Bible, maybe you want to write it down somewhere, that's a good verse to memorize. John 10.10, 10. it's one of the verses I memorized when I was a kid. And, I, and it has come back to me over and over again. It is a powerful truth. There is someone out there to kill, to steal, and to destroy us. But Jesus, the good shepherd, has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He will go to extraordinary things that this life can be evidenced in our lives that we can receive it and that the abundance of it can make a difference. On one occasion, Jesus told a parable and Andy actually referred to it when, he was, when she was speaking of the one from the 99. Matthew 18, 12 says it this way. Jesus said, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains? And go in search of the one that went astray. Does he? Jesus asserts that a shepherd would not hesitate leaving 99 well-behaved, obedient sheep. Defenseless on the mountains. While he goes to chase after one single rebellious straggler. That claim boggles my mind. If if I'd been caring for the flock, I don't think I would have done that. I'm not sure that I would have chased after the one. I think I would have stayed with the 99, cut my losses with losing only one, and just chalked it up for the cost of doing business. I don't think I would have done it. I mean, after all, I have a 99% retention rate. Why would I mess with that? But Jesus is the good shepherd. He does things differently. He does things differently. He said that shepherd would chase after the one. That's what Jesus does for us. He chases after the one no matter how far they go, no matter how fast they run. Even more incredible to all of this, for those of us that are not in the sheep business, is what the shepherd does when he finds that one. The next verse, Matthew 18, verse 13. And if he finds it, Jesus said, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. What? What is Jesus saying here? That doesn't make any sense to me. How inequitable. It doesn't seem fair. Those 99 obedient sheep get second-rate rejoicing while the one rebellious straggler gets premier-level rejoicing? 
I'm speaking to you about this, not as one of the 99 that stayed behind, but actually as one of the ones that went off on his own. I don't speak to you in authority as the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son that stayed home. I speak to you as one that wandered off one grass clump at a time and found himself lost. Like the hymn writer says, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. But the problem with that is that I can't even say that because once I was found and then I went lost. Once I could see and then I became blind. And still, Jesus came looking for me. I'm so grateful to be back in the fold that God would restore my life, my family, my relationship, and my ministry. Whoa. My story is a story of redemption and restoration. But having done all the wandering away from him, I am still pretty sure that I'm disqualified from that premier level of rejoicing. But he doesn't. And the ones who stayed close, shouldn't they be celebrated more than the one who wandered off? Seems logical. Wouldn't it be more appropriate for Jesus to rejoice over those 99 that were obedient? But here's what the Lord has shown me over the course of my life and my restoration and out of this story. We've all gone astray. There are no 99. There are only ones. Isaiah 53, 6 says, For all like sheep have gone astray. Each have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What I've come to realize is that the same good shepherd who chased after me also chased after you. He's the good shepherd. He cares for his sheep and he comes after the one because all he's got are ones. He rejoices over all of us ones more than the 99 that never went astray because all there ever were were ones. So Jesus is the good shepherd, and because he is the good shepherd, he knows his sheep. And because he is the good shepherd, he cares for his sheep. But one more thing I want to see or show you is that because he is the good shepherd, he died for his sheep. Here's something really wonderful about Jesus he is the good shepherd, and he not only comes looking for you when you've lost your way, he lays down his life to pay for your iniquity so that you can walk in a new way, in his way. He's no hired hand. He didn't get hired for the job. He's the owner of the operation. Someone who disappears would be a hired hand when when things get rough when the when the danger begins to get right at the doorfront that person escapes but not Jesus 
he's all in. He's fully committed. He's 100% committed to his sheep because they belong to him. You see, he said the father gave them to him and he doesn't lose anything the father gives to him. That's why he comes after the one because he's determined to keep that which the father gave him. Jesus is not just charged with taking care of the sheep. They're his. They belong to him. Look at verse 17 of John 10. He says it this way and sums it all up. For this reason, here's the reason. This is all being said about this one reason. The father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. What he's saying here is critically important to us. It speaks to a big, grand theological term called substitutionary atonement. That though we are guilty and deserve to die, Jesus as the good shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep and he would die that we might live. We got what only he had and he got and took upon himself what we deserved. This this sacrifice on Jesus' part is so profound that I really make a mistake just picking at it while we're talking right in here for a few minutes. It's deeper than any ocean. It is such an efficacious sacrifice. It worked and nothing else would. First, his sacrifice was voluntary. Nobody made him do it. He did it all on his own volition. Secondly, his sacrifice was vicarious, meaning he did it for another. He wasn't a martyr. He wasn't killed by men. He died as a substitute. He laid down his life. He did it willingly for us. And finally, his sacrifice was victorious. He didn't just die. (laughs) He rose again. He rose again and he defeated death in the grave. Those are the greatest, most ferocious enemies we have coming after us. Death, sin, and the grave. And Jesus dealt with them all because he is the good shepherd. He lives forevermore. So this is what Jesus is meaning when he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. I'm a good shepherd, the good shepherd, because I go after my sheep. I care for them. And even when they stray, I hunt them down and bring them home. Did you know that some shepherds have been known to actually break the legs of a sheep so that they wouldn't wander off any longer? They've wandered and wandered and wandered. And finally, the shepherd breaks the leg and he picks that sheep back up and puts it on his neck. He takes him home. And that sheep heals forever with a limp, but he never leaves the shepherd again. 
Now I keep saying, Lord, don't break my legs any more than they've already been broken. I, I feel like I walk with a limp already, and I do. But I'm so grateful to get to stay close to the shepherd. I want to be right up next to him. Not me wandering off this time. It might have been somebody else, but I, I am right here. Don't break my legs, Lord. Let me stay close. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. He knows him by name. He cares for his sheep, even when they go astray. And he died and rose again for his sheep. Amen. Donna's going to come. We're going to close this morning. Let her pray after she shares a few things that the Lord has on her heart. And then we'll close with our last song. I hope we never get over the wonder of being in his family. I hope we never get over the hope of it, the power of it, because it's what compels us to be sure that other people get included, get invited, get, get drawn close. He was the sacrificed lamb so we could be the sheep of his pasture. And he was perfect and without spot so that he can present us blameless and without fault. Father, we are humbled and amazed and grateful when we consider what you have done so that we could be called the children of God. And it remains to be seen what we shall be, but we will be like you when we see you face to face. You have shepherded us well. You have provided and protected. You've delivered us from the great enemies of death and sin. And we want to walk worthy of all that you've done. So I pray for each of us that we would receive the power of the Holy Spirit for our testimony. Yes, Lord. That we would walk in the full benefit of the godly life that you have provided. Mm -hmm. That we would be quick and compelled to share your love with any person that crosses our path. And not in a religious way that brings death, but in a spiritual way that brings life. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord, for the abundant life that you have purchased for us. We're very acquainted with all the things the enemy tries to do to us. Steal things. Kill us destroy everything that's about us. But we know that you came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And we confess to you, Lord, we don't avail ourselves of all of that. It's a lot of days we live just barely getting by. We want the abundance of your life. The good shepherd has made a way for us to have abundance. 
I pray for anyone here today that is lacking, that needs to have a refilling of your spirit that gives abundant life. The joy of the Lord is their strength, like Grace said earlier. Lord, let abundant living water flow out from our innermost being. Let us understand that you have called us by name and you know us that you care for us to the point that you'd even come and rescue us, even break our leg if we had to, so we would stay closer and learn and develop and grow in your grace. And you love us so much that you died for us and gave us your life, taking upon yourself our sin, that we could be reunited with the Father. Help us to live in those truths today, this week, in our community, in this nation, in the world, as your witnesses of abundant life. We ask in Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. Let's stand together.